0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Industrial Marketer Podcast, your place for the tips, tech, trends, and tactics for industrials who care about driving leads to their companies. I'm one of your hosts, as always, Joey Strawn, industrial marketer advocate, and all-around neat fella. I am joined, as always, by my partner in crime, my cohort, Nelson the Shelf Jensen. How are you, my man? I'm doing really well. Thank you, Joey. Thanks for that nice introduction. You're you're very welcome. You know, it's always it's nice that when we can get to this time of year, the holiday season, pull down our Nels on the shelf, put them up, ask for content advice and strategy tips. Uh, It's just wonderful. Me and my kids love it. We hide the Nels on the shelf around every single day. And Uh,
1: you never know. Right. You never know when you'll get some incredible insight from Nels on the shelf. Exactly.
0: We come down every morning and then it's like, hey, write a case study. We're like, yay. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, But today, we're not talking about case studies now. Today, because we're still in our quarter of sales focus, it's the end of the year. People are setting their budgets. People are getting their proposals and items in line for next year. People are looking for those new sales that are going to really fill in their bottom line and their pipeline for 2022. And so this quarter, we're dedicating to all sales topics that are important to B2Bs and industrials dealing with these markets. The, The pandemic has set Crazy supply chain problems. Companies are moving in all sorts of new ways and looking at new partners. And whether they're going in the sustainability route or looking for cheaper partners and and supply chain manufacturing paths, everybody is looking right now to find their best and most ideal partners. And that's all what this episode is about, Nels. We you and I are really hyper focusing in on the ICP or the ideal customer profile. Uh, now in the wider sales world, that's a very general term, but now you and I, we're focusing on the industrial B2B markets and that's where you and I are going to live today. Uh, how excited are you to talk about this? Well, that's where, that's where we live every day,
1: Joey. And it it's, it's a, uh, it's a narrow world in the sense of you know, <laughs> some of the, some of the verticals. It's a, you know, elongated world in terms of buying cycles. Um, and that's what makes this challenging, right? How do you? Yeah. You might not have a. You might not have a large pool of clients, but if you can get
0: aligned with the right ones, then you're golden. That is, and and Nels, that is such a great summary of kind of why it's so important. So, uh, a couple of things. We do have a special guest today, Nels. You and I have have gone into the world and pulled in a business development expert, someone who deals with this every day in the industrial sectors and is talking to companies about their ideal client profiles. And he obviously has one for himself that he's trying to identify. So Jim, the jam man is coming in later and he is going to tell us all about real world practical applications and how he helps other people get numerical trackable ways to talk to the right people. But Before we even do that, let's set the stage a little bit about what, okay, what the heck is an ICP? What are we talking about here? And like, how is it different? Or is it the same thing as a target persona? How do B2Bs use them and why and when might they use them? And then we're going to let Jim tell us some specifics. So, Nels, I want to start by giving the definition of an ICP. I know you and I talk about acronyms. We love acronyms, uh, but the ideal customer profile. So when we talk about the ideal customer profile, what we are talking about is a hypothetical company or organization that you can map out on paper that would get the most benefit from working with your organization. So yes, I'm step that back yes. just a little bit, but yeah, now, So what do you take from that? What do you hear? Yeah. So when you to hear me, that definition.
1: To to me, there's there's a couple simple ways. To look at this as well. Uh, Definition spot on, but it's the intersection, right, of your capabilities and somebody else's needs, right? You got to be a good match from there. And it's also somebody who will um, work with you to add value and work with you to reduce friction. You know, it's those, those are two key components in any good business-to-business relationship, right? It's not just making a widget, it's not just Providing software support, you know, it's about adding value. It's about, you know, how do you, how can you work with this person, and that can be for in terms of all sorts of things that we're going to talk about. But we can talk about the pain points. We can talk mm-hmm. about budgets. You know, there's there's a bunch of check boxes almost that go into the ideal client profile, and obviously one of them is the ability to work together to add value for each other.
0: I couldn't agree more. And I love how you put that is the the intersection and finding value is finding that benefit is the intersection of all the data and all the things we know and all the things we do to really put together this profile of who is going to work best with us. And what we mean by that is not who's going to make the most money. It's not the biggest name in your market. There's a lot of ways that when you hear that term is like, oh, a hypothetical company that would like be the greatest that we could work with. You have to take a, a very serious Approach to this because it's not going to be just the biggest names in the industry. It's not going to be the biggest brands in the world. A lot of in a lot of cases, especially with the B2B and industrial markets, bigger is not always better. The more general and the more inclusive that your ideal customer profile is, the more watered down so it can fit in more people and more companies and more brands, the less effective uh, um, eventually it's going to be. Uh, One of the things that really, really, and I think we're going to pinpoint this with Jim later, is that when you're thinking of an ICP or an ideal customer profile, you need to think of the companies that are realistic to work with, size, budget, timing, all of that. And we'll talk about those parameters in section two, but they also need to be a realistic partner for you. So if they don't have the accounting functions or if they don't have the turnaround times or vendor relationships that you prefer, uh, there are some companies I know that are trying to get net zero on sustainability. So they're working with only suppliers who match their sustainability goals. So whatever your stipulations may be, it's finding that ideal partner is more than just company more than just exxon who has eight billion dollars and we want money so that's where i really want to get more in with jim in the weeds on this but the idea behind an ideal customer profile isn't so much that it's just like a target persona we've talked about target personas before but those are the person you're talking to you could have multiple target personas within in the ideal customer profile. So you know the company that you need to go after and that's your ICP. But within any ICP, there may be a target persona of one, two, three, or four stakeholders that will have to be convinced along the way. Certainly,
1: right. Especially in industrial where you're talking about engineering, you're talking about you know, operations, you're talking about purchasing, you know, those three very divergent areas of a company. And so obviously you're going to have that. So, you know, one thing that um, I have not dealt a lot with ideal client profiles, but I always hear it associated with lifetime customer value, you know, Mm -hmm. is that Well, I'm sure we'll talk more with Jim about that, but that's also, you know, I'm not sure that an ideal customer could be a short-term customer too, right? Obviously it's great. You can have organic growth, you can work together, you could have a retainer, you know, but um, yeah. So, you know, just help me a little bit with framing, you know, how you view customers from a short-term, long-term proposition here.
0: That's that's a fantastic question, and I do want Jim to dive into that, but from my, from my standpoint and from my experience, you can have an ideal client profile or ideal customer profile that targets project accounts. It depends on the company, and I know a lot of times the marketing is, oh, it depends, but this well, one, right. it does, because if you have a revenue stream that's totally baked in on turnaround project accounts. Like you have a machine that has downtime and you're just pumping out projects and that's a revenue stream that is valuable to your business. There's no uh, reality in where I would tell you not to have an ideal customer profile around those types of projects. But for those, the ideal client profile parameters might need to be this time, this turnaround time, it has to use this machine, obviously, the one that has the downtime and availability. and that machine only does a couple of functions. So if you're using you know a water, uh, if you're like water jetting or water cutting, you're not going to be able to then turn around and fabricate a widget from that. So capabilities of the output is very, very is very, very helpful. So project accounts and project revenue streams can definitely have some most of the time, though. Eighty percent or more. When we're talking ICP, we're thinking long-term customers. Right. Something so that I can guess be that's... tracked as revenue over over a long period of time.
1: Sure. So, so I guess my let me try asking um, a question in a slightly different way because um, an ideal customer. Uh, might have four different metrics that you sort of view this from. Mm-hmm. But let's say that somebody comes along and they're in your sweet spot for, man, we're, we're awesome at doing X and they want us to do X and they have the budget and they have but they don't have a, a, a third or a fourth element, but they still could be a match, right? So I, you know, are we talking mm-hmm. ideal, ideal? Or are we talking more like a gradient scale where you just want to move more toward the ideal whenever possible?
0: Man, you asked some tough, great questions now. It, it's more the second, I would say, because obviously, and Jim will tell you this because Jim's on the floor. He's on the ground floor doing this. And he knows that while you always have a framework, there are going to be situations that call for an audible or an extension or, and we should, we should
1: hit, we should hit Jim up with this because this is the world he lives
0: in. Yeah. Because that's, that's probably what you're looking for And I don't want to put words in his mouth and I'm going to, if he says 80, 20, I'm going to just burst out laughing, but probably 80, 20 is you want to have confidence enough in about 80, 80% of them. But you know that 20% of them are just going to be all over the place. You may have these parameters and these elements, but they don't have the budget. But that's okay because right. you can it could be a door into a larger project or someone that they're a vendor with that you need a collaboration with. So yeah, are so always maybe- gonna be those sidesteps, I'd say 20 to 30 percent of the time. But for most of it, the core, you're trying to find something that will meticulously turn around consistent quality. Um, and that's, it's sort of the same idea as, you know, Nelson, when you and I are talking in the marketing sense of like a marketing qualified lead or a sales qualified lead, it's a little bit of that is where we have scores, we have very specific parameters and ideal worlds. But man, if someone is just the perfect fit and they are not taking the activities that get them the score they need and we notice them, we still have to pursue that sale. That's still an opportunity. Um, so yes, we can talk about, we can talk with Jim about where you pivot and how often, you know, that becomes valuable, but at some point you have to be able to draw the line and say, you know what, that doesn't fit. Like that's a deal. That's a deal. Sure. Yeah. To, to quote 30 rock. (laughs) And and that's that's a very good question. Like customer value and budgets, uh, Exactly. Um, Those are things that everyone is always thinking about when they're putting these ideal client and customer profiles together. Um, You know, I think think we should probably mosey on down to the shop floor and see what Jim has to say because I keep almost putting words in Jim's mouth and I think he's just going to be able to tell us exactly how he's helped customers and clients talk about this and approach this and think about this. And so if we really want to give value to the industrial marketers listening to this episode. We got to get out of the shop floor and have Jim start telling them what's what. Let's do it. All right, Nels, let's head on down and meet some Jim the Jam Man. Oh, Nels, we made it to the shop floor. Welcome. Welcome to the shop floor with me. Are you ready to dive in and actually talk about ICPs and how to put them to use with someone who does it for real? Yeah, this is going to be a good segment. Let's go. Okay. I I am so excited. We teased this earlier on in the episode, but we have a a, a business development professional. This is a guy who works in the industrial spaces. He lives around B2Bs. He's talking to industrial companies every single day. Um, We are so happy to have him on the Industrial Marketer Podcast. Please, everybody, welcome Jim, the Jam Man Eisenbeck. How are
2: you, Jim? Hey, Joey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, it is such a pleasure to have you here, Jim. Just to give you a little bit of context and catch up, we spent the entire first half of this episode talking about What an ICP is an industrial client or customer profile. And you know, we are talking conceptually on how you put them together and when you know, some times you might want to think about using them. But we really got to a point where we were thinking, you know, what's really gonna put this into context for our listeners, for the people that are dealing with this on a day-to-day basis, is for us to actually talk to somebody. Who deals with this on a day-to-day basis? And when Nelson and I put our heads together, we couldn't think of anybody more qualified to talk about ICPS and how to actually use them for a for benefit and to ide, ideate on what is going to make and drive success for a brand than you. So, Jim, thank you so much for for being our our expert on ICPS today.
2: That's awesome. Looking forward to talking about it. Step in. All right. So okay.
0: So here's the first question that I have for you, and, and we're gonna start off general. I defined sort of my definition of you know the ICP, a hypothetical company that would benefit from uh, you know working with a company or a brand. But I want you to dive in a little bit deeper and tell me a little bit about what how you define an ICP
2: and who needs them. Gotcha. Well, an ideal client is. Uh, representative of that kind of company uh, organization that you would most like to do business with. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, you know, from an organizational standpoint, it's those companies that uh, you can best serve, those companies who can derive value and actually benefit from what your organization provides. Um, So I, you know, where I find it helpful in my day to day is it's, you know, it's, it's as important to know which potential customers are actually good prospects, uh, as well as really understanding those that aren't and why they aren't. Um, so you know where to focus your efforts. Okay,
0: so so when when you're thinking about it, would every company out there need an ICP? Like, is that something that's going to benefit everybody, or who are the types of people and companies that should be thinking about them, using them, and and really diving in on them?
2: I would say anyone who relies on a customer to keep their business uh, <laughs> yeah. should rely. Okay, on the okay, of the ideal client.
0: Okay. Well, that, I mean, that, that makes, that makes sense. Um, I mean, what, what do you think? Like, I mean, obviously companies can't go after every person out in, in the world. So what are some of the factors or what are some of the resources and, and some of the thought processes when people are thinking of setting an ICP up or getting their mind around where they need to start when they're looking at their current portfolio or their client lists, where, where would you tell people that are like, where should they start? What should they focus on?
2: Well, again, you know, ideal is the operative word in an ideal client Um, it's not always going to be perfect Um, one of the ways that's common to start is by just understanding and looking at the customers that you already have you know and identifying some of those common traits what makes them a good client for you um, and and really what is the selection criteria that matters most for your organization as you consider other new business partners to join with Um, and so ideally at the end of the day, it's about creating the mix that works for you and your organization.
0: Okay, so it is going to it is going to differ. It's not just a a set. You know, the ideal client profile isn't a set of like five bullet points that then every company on the face of the planet uses. So there is going to be a little bit of that mix. I mean, how do how do they think through? some of those options? I mean, obviously size, I mean, I know you talk revenue all day long with, with companies, but I mean, like, what are some of the things that they should be considering or thinking of or prioritizing? Um, well,
2: first and foremost, um, I, I always advocate for keeping it simple. Um, mm-hmm. But some of the common categories that you may consider prospective uh, business partners Like you said, they might be based on size and revenue as one of the criteria. It might even be the type of organization or the market focus that they have. It might be the type or the volume of work that you can expect from them, depending on what your organization does. If you're making chips and parts, um, it might be uh, volumes that you're looking for in production runs. Um, It might be also something like the the revenue target, um, even the billing terms. If they're favorable to you, will the work be profitable? Um, there, there are several items those are just a few.
0: Right. Well, I mean, wow, that's, that's all, that's an awesome list. One of the things we talked about, uh, and it kind of goes in with revenue and profit and generation is that we had talked earlier in the episode about like lifetime value and, you know, factoring in like the actual companies that, that provide value to the, to your universe and to your portfolio and to your business preferences and specialities and things like that. So I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that it's like, you know, they value the solution. They work alongside, you know, the the companies that you would work with and obviously market focus, you know, you don't want to be targeting people that are outside your areas of of expertise. So uh, yeah, I can, I could totally see those being a major thing.
1: I got a question here. Um, is, is this an always on kind of mindset or is this more in play for a growth company or a company that's lost clients and is looking to replace work or when markets are, markets are tight? What, you know, are, are there certain times when ICP is more applicable than others?
2: I would look at this as an always on um, because it is where you place your efforts. Um, organizations have finite resources, Um, There's only so much you can do in a day. Um, And where an ICP really can come into play is it can be a framework for scrutinizing the business opportunities that you have in front of you can help you keep your focus and gain more of those customers who actually are a good fit for you. Um, And without that focus. you know, organizations can find that they may be holding on to customers that really aren't a fit, uh, are tra- taking resources away from more profitable work, uh, and actually presenting, preventing the growth. So, you know, it, it can negatively impact revenue, it can reven- you know, negatively impact business strategy, operations, team morale, I mean, it can have some, some uh, accumulative effects. Yeah. Well, and that's an interesting
0: point that you made there at the end, Jim, about, you know, if you're holding on to a customer that may actually not be providing value to you, if it doesn't meet, you know, if you put this together correctly, then if, if a client doesn't meet that profile then there are some questions to ask, and that's the tough part about like this specific conversation. Is you know we won't beat around the bush. At some point in time, you may have to make the decision to fire a client or not go after a customer, and that sounds weird when you're talking business, when you're talking you know revenue growth to say, oh, we're going to say no to that business. But if you're following an ICP model, hope you know, hopefully it gives you the freedom to say no more often. I mean, Jim, have you found that? talking with people in the real world or people who are trying you know companies putting these together that are that are struggling with the idea of like well how do we say no to people who aren't a fit
2: I've definitely heard it in action um, from Mm -hmm. clients who use this framework to make decisions around those types of prospects that they're wanting to do business with, um, knowing that they might be resource constrained. I mean, the reality is you never know everything about a customer until you're actually doing business with them, right? Mm -hmm. So there's always going to be things that you'll learn. But again, if you use the ICP as a guideline, it's just a way to scrutinize the opportunities.
1: That's, I love that. What, so ideal is um, wonderful in theory. In practice, it's a target, right? How do you rank criteria or what how do you how do you decide what you can compromise on and what you can't compromise on when honing in on ideal or nearly ideal customers?
2: That's a great question. So in our world of industrial marketing, We have a defined set of criteria for those ideal customers that we would like to work with. Um, We look at revenue. We look at things like leadership uh, involvement. We look for accountable resources. We find that those make the best partners Mm -hmm. for us when we have someone that we can work with hand in hand, who is a key point of contact. Um, But there are times when on paper, an opportunity might not look perfect, but it could be an initial engagement from a notable brand. That looks great on the roster. There can be any number of decisions that might open the door to other opportunities down the road and things that we might consider those X factors, if you will, um, that help us really determine is this an opportunity worth pursuing and something that we want to go after.
0: So there's always a little bit of, I mean, we live in the world of marketing, so there's always a little bit of it depends in there, Jim, as I hear it. So that makes me feel better because we always love our, it depends answer in the world of marketing. So it sounds like there's a little bit of baked that bake uh, of that baked into the DNA of here. Now, Jim, you talked about putting this into practice and actually, you know, in a real world context, ideal is a key word. You had mentioned that earlier. So When it comes to the real world, and that's sort of what this on the shop floor segment is all about, is, you know, for people listening to this, what are some real world examples? How have you seen this either benefit or be uh, something that someone had to acknowledge and create and then, you know, reap the benefits from? Like, have you seen this play out with real clients and real people that you've talked with?
2: Absolutely, and and again, real world is is about practicality and fit, and it's meaningless if if it's not a decision making tool. You know, just to have it on paper if it sits in a drawer and you don't reference this or make decisions by it, then why bother? So, you know, and and the other side of this is you have to be honest about your organization's um, ability to deliver, whether it be product or equipment or service, you know, geography, whatever it might be. And so, um, you know, I would. One of the questions that I always put on top of this is, you know, if it weren't for the financial gain or reward of doing business, is the company that you're targeting one that you would actually choose to work with? And so I think that's a really important um, decision making factor uh, that, that couldn't be considered as part of this.
0: Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. Like, again, it goes back to that. Would you say no if money wasn't a factor here? Like ideal world, would you want To work with this client, and if the answer is yes, then they fit into that, you know, ICP. They fit into that model, and knowing and understanding what those parameters are per the context of the realities of, you know, your business. Uh, it it sounds to be extremely important uh Nels, i've been i've been hogging jim this whole time do you, are, do you have anything that you want to ask before we kind of make him explain some more real world examples to us yeah
1: well i i think uh, i was going to ask about real world examples too so let's just okay. skip to that can you you know even even in our own case can you think of uh, of how somebody worked out maybe to be an ideal client or conversely maybe they didn't
2: Absolutely. So um, we've had a client who went through this exercise about defining an ideal client that they would choose um, to go after. And they actually used this framework uh, to scrutinize some of the opportunities in their pipeline and actually decided at the end of the day um, that they were not necessarily a fit. They looked great um, for, uh, for the revenue side, but when they really looked at um, the type of corporate philosophy and the type of work they would likely uh, get, um, and and they would probably be um, you know forced to reduce margins year over year. Um, they really looked at: is this a business that's actually going to drive us forward? Uh, and the decisions were ultimately no. And I think that that is that can be as important as to what you don't take on as it is as to what you do. Hmm.
0: Wow, that's. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, we see it in our world, especially in the production world that Nelson and I live in, is that if you just say yes to everything, eventually the work suffers. And I see that I would see that in the exact same scenarios and analogous uh, with this as well as if you are trying to literally sell your specific goods and services or yours, you know, in our world, industrial specific goods and services to, to everybody on the face of the planet. That's a lot of wasted effort. Not everybody can buy the the stuff. Not everybody can, buy, can take advantage of what you have to offer. So really putting up those fences and putting up those gates can, I mean, it sounds to me, Jim, correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, but it sounds like it can save people from spinning the wheels and wasting a lot of time and effort.
2: Agreed. I will say that aside from size and revenue and maybe market focus, um, some of the things that can also be considered for what an ideal client might be is- you know, a client that pushes you um, to grow, you know, if it provides significant growth opportunity, if there's potential for more work, um, if, you know, if they even can offer resources and insights that you might not have otherwise on your own. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, the ease of doing business, you know, do you like working with them and right. will they likely be an advocate for you or provide referrals? There are several things that can be at play here.
0: Well, and and referrals is an interesting one too. Oh, sorry, Nels.
1: No, I was just going to say that, you know, as Joey well knows, two of my favorite phrases are adding value and reducing friction. So, you know, how do you help each other? You add value to each other. The growth point is a good one. You know, it's, it's you're going to learn and you're going to grow from an ideal client and you are also going to help them by adding value and helping them reduce friction too. I imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, How about, uh, pain points are there are there certain pain points that are this is kind of a weirdly worded question um, you know some pain is worse than other pain what do, what do you look for in terms of potential pain points in a uh, in, in this evaluation
2: I would say if you can discern early stage if there is enough potential growth should you take maybe something that's not a fit at, from the outset with the hopes of it flourishing into something greater. Um, there's always a risk that you run. Um, it may not work out that way. So you do have to do a bit of a risk reward analysis and see if something like that is going to pan out for you um, to see whether or not you take the step forward in partnership to try it out.
0: Yeah, that's, that's. I mean, there's going to be risk in anything. And Jim, I, I you know, thank you for bringing that up and actually acknowledging that because it is a real, you know, Stipulation in these, there is going to be risk in the unknown. But putting up those those ICP parameters, like we talked about, can at least give some version of clarity and help you have those those you know, fence posts, those guideposts. But yeah, I uh, you know acknowledging the risk is an important factor. Um, you know, Jim, as we wrap up here, it, are there any kind of cl- closing words or closing remarks that you want to leave people? If they don't remember anything about what we've talked about today, which they should, come on, guys, take notes while you're listening to this podcast. What are you doing? But if they only if they're if they're going to remember some final words, what would you say to kind of wrap up the importance of of the ICP
2: mindset and what you're telling clients? I would say remember that an ICP is a framework. It's not perfect. It's a good guidebook. Um, another factor is that an ICP can actually help sales and marketing teams together to be more efficient and more effective in how they target segment, even create content, personalize, uh, and even nurture customers and prospects through the sales process. So this is a tool that can really bring harmony into two teams that really should be working together to ultimately help the organization grow through new business opportunities.
0: Man, I, I, I couldn't have summarized that better myself. And what a great way. I mean, we're here near the end of our sales and Sales Enablement Quarter on Industrial Marketer Podcast. And so we're getting into the weeds of what really drives businesses and contacts and marketing leads that drive value and revenue for businesses. So Jim, thank you so much for for being here and chatting through this with us today. It's always uh, exciting for Nelson and I when we're talking with people who are living the things that we're talking about every day.
2: This was great. Thank you.
0: Uh, well, Nels, as always, it has been such a joy to to talk uh, industrial marketing and the tactics and trends and tips and tools that are going to help people in this weird, wild world that we live in. Yeah, one more one more power tool for the uh, toolkit. So I, it's,
1: it's, I know it's it's exciting. I love the harmony with uh, you get the sales
0: enablement on the back end of this, and uh, you really get cranking. This is good stuff. It's, it's connecting all the pieces. It's connecting all the dots. You know what? You use the word and I'll, I'll segue off that. It's harmonious and it's very pleasant. And honestly, this is the season when all of that is happening. We're getting to the end of the year and it's so pleasant and harmonious and there's songs and bells in the air. And you know what should be in the air is you subscribing to the Industrial Marketing Podcast. The bell that should be ringing is the bell that dings every time we have a new episode coming out. Silver Bells, subscribe to our podcast. And if you already are an industrial marketer listener, thank you as always for listening to our show this week. And if you haven't dived into the industrial marketer podcast website, it's industrialmarketer.com. And we have articles and educational materials galore on there. If you live in the world of B2B or industrial marketing, you you need to start that website. You need to go find all the helpful stuff that we have there. Um, And until next time, I have been Joey on the industrial marketer podcast. And I've been joined by Nels as uh, as my fearless, fearless co-host. Nels, uh, until next time, I look forward to chatting with you about industrial marketing again.